You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last nine years, we've been meeting here every single week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, there was a lot of drama, quite the drama last week. Big drama show, I guess you'd say, around Paulo Costa's weight cut, or lack thereof, leading up to what was supposed to be a middleweight fight against Marvin Vittori at this UFC Fight Night event on Saturday night. Long story short, these two guys ended up fighting at light heavyweight. We'll talk about that this week, and we'll also talk about Fedor Emelianenko, apparently finding the fountain of youth over there in Russia at Bellator. And then we will go ahead and look ahead to next week's non-pay-per-view pay-per-view at UFC 260. What is it, 267? That's correct. So a lot on the docket as usual. But first, Ben, but first, we got to talk about the biggest fight in MMA history. Last week, the good people over at KSW released a fever dream of a trailer <laughs> for Marius Pujanowski versus the Bombardier. Trailer is an interesting term for like a six minute video. Yeah, mini movie is more like it. <laughs> Featurette. It was We're a f- fucking drone shots in this thing. Everything yeah. flying over Senegal, showing the bombardier running on the beach, making his determined face. Uh, the determined face got wiped right off the bombardier by a hard shot from former multi-time world's strongest man, Marius Pujanowski. Uh, and this thing lasted, what, like 18 seconds, something like that. And it was over the bombardier. The bombardier got tucked in for nap time. Right there on the on the KSW canvas, Marius Pujanowski reigns supreme again. But the most important thing, Ben, big meaty men slapping meat out there in the KSW cage. Just uh, the the biggest and the meatiest out there. And honestly, let's be honest with ourselves and admit that uh, a 17 second fight or whatever it is, kind of the best case outcome there. We didn't. We don't want to see these guys three rounds deep. Yeah. And I'll want to see what that looks like. I'll, I'll do you one better. The first 15 seconds of this thing didn't necessarily bode well for the level of action we were going to see over mm-hmm. whatever the rest of the fight turned out to be. So I'm glad kind of that Pooji went out there, met the Senegalese wrestling with his MMA as he promised to do and scored, scored the quick knockout. But yeah, we, we, we called it a featurette, a mini movie. But let's, I want to give props where props are due because KSW does a good job with this stuff, man. They always do. Uh, We have talked at length on this show going back years now how a lot of the promotional materials that the UFC puts together now, I think you could say the same thing about Bellator. It all feels a little paint by numbers at this point. You know exactly what you're going to get from Embedded. You know exactly what you're going to get from uh, Dana White's looking for a fight if that thing even still exists. You you know what you're going to get. You know what the poster is going to look like before the UFC even unveils it. KSW in some ways, carrying on the grand tradition of pride fighting championship is just on some weird shit with their own style. 
and they're giving the people what they want. And frankly, I dig the vibe over there in Poland. Yeah. I mean, you know that Pudzi versus Bombardier would fit right in on New Year's Eve in Tokyo. If we could have done that thing back in like 2005, they might have saved pride, Chad. We yeah. could have booked a fight like this. Yeah. And But you're right that it, especially in contrast, feels so glaring to see, okay, here's somebody who is really going all out to try to give me some entertainment value as a viewer, as a fan. And they're doing the opposite of just some fights over there. They're, they're going to act like whatever they're doing is just absolutely mind-blowing stuff, arena stuff. Yeah. And and they, they've successfully managed to create that feel. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they're doing what we are constantly asking the American MMA promotions to do, and that is have a little fun, put together uh, what I believe in your words was a big, loud, dumb spectacle Yep. Uh, in the wake of the uh, Tyson Fury Deontay Wilder trilogy fight and KSW does that man and it's fun to watch and it's fun to look at the promotional stuff and you know they got the freak show fights 18 seconds I'm not going to say this one was was a fight for the ages or anything like that unless Michael Bisping was calling it he might he might have referred to it as an instant classic if he was on the if he was on the call but uh I don't know it's it's like they give you what you want that's that's uh, and right now you can't say that about everybody in the MMA sphere so uh, big funny hats off to KSW, frankly. Well, and you know what? I remember first hearing about your guy Puds, the strong man who was going to do some MMA. And this is back like the early days, like 2009, 2010, when he was first starting out. If you told me more than a decade later, this guy would still be holding down KSW basically on his own. And that, you know, not only would he still be an MMA fighter, but he'd be on a goddamn four fight winning streak. Yeah. It, it, well into his mid-40s, I'd, I'd have said you're slap crazy, Chad Dundas. And yet here we are. And I got to say, it is a ride to just go through the Wikipedia page of one Marius Pudzinowski. Because first you get all the MMA stuff, strongman stuff loaded up at the top. Then you get down to the section t- helpfully titled Outside Professional Sports. That's where they're going to tell you about his education. Uh, graduated with a master's degree in international relations. They even tell you about his thesis. The title was Organizational Culture in Sports Marketing in the World. So that sounds like a riveting read. Um, my favorite, though, is this section on where it just says business, uh, where he says that he treats MMA and strongman stuff as a hobby because the money isn't that good. He owns a very successful company, a school for bodyguards, and various real estates. Those are his main sources of money. Pudzianowski also owns a truck cargo company named Pudzianowski Transport. Man, like, don't you feel like the guys will be lining up on the loading dock to see the Pudzianowski Transport truck pulling in? Uh, hold Various on. Various real estates, Chad. Go back to that list again. Read me that list one more time. He owns a very successful company. Okay, a that's sp- that's one. That's one thing. And then there's a comma. A school for bodyguards. Okay, stop. That's Stop. <laughs> so the very successful company and the school for bodyguards are two different things. There's a comma in between those. No, there's a parenthesis. Oh, so the very, very successful, successful company, company is the school for a bodyguards. school for bodyguards. Okay, yes. that and makes sense. Because if you want to be a bodyguard, who else are you going to learn from? But <laughs> Marius Pujanowski, the multi-time world's strongest man who's also out here beating that ass in the cage every few months. And various real estates. 
How many real estates you own, Chad? Oh, I got a couple of states, and they are very real. So thank you for asking. <laughs> uh, have you ever gone and did you look at the uh, the Marius Pujanowski store, the shop, when uh, when our guy, I believe, Sean Denis, posted it? Uh, on Twitter this week, Sean was over there at this fight. Yeah. It seemed like he, he was met, rubbing elbows. Yeah, he met both the competitors. He got he posted pictures up on the socials with uh with the bombardier and Marius Pujanowski, which was nice to get some scale. Frankly, standing <laughs> next to a regular sized man, you could really see how enormous both these guys were. But then, uh, because I believe Pujanowski was maybe wearing his own shirt. Or no, he posted this other one uh, where Pujanowski is wearing a shirt that just says the Pujan Pujanator on it. Okay. And so I asked him if that was real or photoshopped, and then he went ahead and posted the link to the Pujanowski shop. Marius Pujanowski has, I am, I'm not exaggerating here, probably thirty shirts for sale. Okay. And each He's doing one a more, better than more glorious. The, the Italian dream, then, because yeah. he does not have that many shirts. Uh, each one more glorious than the last. You can go over and take your pick. I guess maybe, let's see here, more like 15 shirts. He's got 15 shirts available and uh, some Var- Marius Pujanowski uh, workout towels if you want to okay. uh, if you want to use those. I'm glad you mentioned the towels. I was going to bring it up because I just navigated over here to the store. Um, I wasn't sure what is being sold here because the workout towels, the pictures are of the towels slung over the bare-chested Marius Pujanowski. Like, he is out there stripped to the waist, as you might say, just throwing the the towel casually over one shoulder, and that's the ad for it. You expect me to be paying attention to the towel? (laughs) Well, I mean, if Marius Pujanowski isn't going to model his own wares, who the hell else is going to do it? If if you've spent your entire life perfecting that body, if you are Marius Pujanowski, what... What for, if for no other reason than to model your own shirts on the website, man? I do like these shirts that have pictures of him and just say, Pudsy and fight. Yeah, it's glorious. It's glorious. Uh, I want a big feature story on the Marius Pujanowski bodyguard school now, frankly. I want to know everything there is to know about it. Well, here's what we've got to do. Send somebody undercover into the, the school for bodyguards. And and they do a, like, here's what really goes on at the Marius Pudzianowski School for Bodyguards. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Like a, uh, an expose, a searing expose. I, that's, I demand it, frankly. I mean, I assume that the report they'll come back with is that everything is delightful. And uh, the man teaches you not just about bodyguarding, but about life. Yeah. You find out some stuff about international relations in the world while you're there. Oh, you know you're finding out about international relations for sure. Reminder, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This show drops every Monday for free in your timelines or podcast libraries. And if you like what you're listening to right now, you absolutely need to check out what's going over going on over on the Patreon, patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben Folks and I are over there all week providing additional podcasts for the beloved patrons, exclusive content for the beloved patrons of the co-main event podcast. We got the Wednesday live chat. We got our brand new show doing the damn thing that comes out every Thursday. We got the Friday power hour podcast. We got the occasional live event watch parties that we host. Uh, We're keeping track of our beloved Seattle Krakens over there. And uh, oh, by the way, every time we post a new blog over on comainevent.com, uh, you can, you can go ahead and get that email directly to your inbox. If you happen to be 
a beloved patron of the co-main event podcast. Check it out. Three handy tiers of patronage available over at patreon.com slash co-main event. And as always, I feel the need to stress, if you don't want to watch or consume any of that extra content, but you just want to support this here show, that's fine. Yeah. That is totally fine. Yeah. You can you can absolutely just pay for the stuff without consuming any of it, and we will be 100% okay with that. This week, we got music from our friend and longtime listener, James, a.k.a. the Funk Soul Brother, a retired amateur MMA fighter and hip-hop producer living in Seoul. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more uh, at his Instagram, which I believe is Instagram.com slash FSB Beats or uh, YouTube.com slash C slash Funk Soul Brother Beats. And as everybody knows by now, just to carry on the grand tradition of having to spell at least one word <laughs> in the names of all of the musical acts we feature, we should note that the word soul in Funk Soul Brother is S-E-O-U-L, soul. That's where he lives. So check that out if you want to hear more from the Funk Soul Brother. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, Marvin Vittori bested Paulo Costa in a light heavyweight fight on Saturday, but still refused to share his wine with him, which is just fucking cruel, man. And in round number two, Fedor Emelianenko went home to Russia, dug around in his closet until he found those old murder balls and decided to slang them things one more time at the expense of Big Tim Johnson. And lo, there was much rejoicing unless you were also Big Tim Johnson. And in round number three, UFC 267 is live and free this weekend on ESPN+. Thrill to the exploits of Yanni Blackjacks, Glover, Peter Yan, and Corey Sandhagen? It seems like actually a pretty great card. Did we mention that it's free? All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from our guy, Cody Bernston, over there on Patreon. He writes, so according to a random tweet I just saw float across my timeline, apparently the PFL finals are this week. Ben, did you know this? Did you know the PFL is about to roll out the finals? Uh, I mean, I think I probably found out more or less the same way. The wind whispered PFL finals, and I went, oh, is that this week? And then they told me that uh, we're doing it on wednesday evening and i was like i'm playing for the fall hockey league championship on wednesday evening can we can we circle back some other time so you're so that's that's you're my busy. stance you're busy. you're busy i got i gotta go win that championship chad you know that you are you know spoken that for me but i went and looked at the card and i was like oh, okay this feels exactly like kind of if you'd asked me at the very beginning what are we going to be looking at here for a pfl finals i'd be like well, there's going to be a Magomed in there. Mm -hmm. uh, Kayla Harrison's going to be there. Um, you know, and lo and behold. Oh, yeah. And we're going to have at least one like former UFC guys, something show up there. You got people like Antonio Carlos Jr. Uh, helping fulfill that aspect of it. Kayla Harrison fighting the three and one Taylor Guardado, uh, who I, I don't even want to look at the odds for that one. Magomed, Magomed Karamov uh, in there against Ray Cooper, the third. So, you know, it, this is a PFL product, can confirm. Yeah. You also have a uh, a fight with Clarissa Shields. Uh, she's going to take, take on Abigail Montez at a women's lightweight fight. Uh, 
I believe that'll be her second professional women's MMA fight. She beat Brittany Elkin back in June. So uh, face a little adversity to do it. That's so right. It should right. be interesting to see how this one goes. Uh, it just how how long can we make it feel weird with both Clarissa Shields and Kayla Harrison both fighting in the same division over there in PFL before something has to happen? I know we don't want to. It, it feels like a. a promotional malpractice almost to turn the young and and inexperienced at least in mma professional boxer clarissa shields uh to turn her on kayla harrison but like uh i mean can you have these two like big name women over there fighting in the same weight class forever and and you're not gonna don't you gotta do that at some point or we or are we all kind of jumping to the conclusion that kayla harrison is gonna is gonna uh peace out the pfl after this thing is over I would think maybe PFL's plan is to sort of Jim and Pam this one for a couple more seasons. <laughs> okay, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but also, I think that you're going to be dealing with uh, maybe a time crunch in that Kayla Harrison's readiness for that level of MMA fight may not arrive in before the time comes for Kayla Harrison. I mean, Cl- Clarissa Shields' readiness for that kind of MMA fight won't be uh, there in time for Kayla Harrison to stick around in PFL because doesn't it feel like She's probably going to go out here. She's a 30 minus 3,500 favorite, basically a 35 to one favorite. And some of the odds that I'm looking at uh, over Taylor Guardado, she's probably going to go out there, smash her, collect another one of those checks. And people are going to go, okay, we've, we've seen enough of this. Let's see Kayla Harrison go somewhere else, uh, face some tougher competition. Maybe she could string one more season of this out, but I don't know. I think people are starting to lose their patience with this. I mean, we've talked before about how, especially with the state of MMA fighter pay, is good work if you can get it. If you can go on there and smash a bunch of people who are just aren't on your level and collect a million dollars every year, you're going to do that. And yeah. so if no one can blame Kayla Harrison for doing it, but I do think that people are going to just be a lot less interested in seeing it if it just continues like that. Yeah, I agree. I think we're we're getting down to the end of our usefulness there with Kayla Harrison in in uh, PFL. But like, also if she, as you said, wanted to stick around for a while longer and cash those giant checks for beating up some people that she's a huge favorite over, couldn't be that mad at her, especially considering the the state of the rest of MMA. Uh, we also got Julia Budd fighting Caitlin Young on this card at women's lightweight. So there are some women's 155 pounders starting to show up over in in PFL. Uh, next question this week comes to us from, I believe, minor Seinfeld character, Ned Isakoff. Okay. Wait a minute. Who? Hmm. Okay. I believe he might have dated Elaine for a while. Well, you could say... He, Cody, Cody Bernson might have dated Elaine. Wow. Going to have to get the scoop on that one. Ned Isakoff <laughs> writes, uh, I think the clear kryptonite to Dundasso is having Jason Herzog as the third person in the cage. It was very refreshing to see him take perfect control over the blue Bruce Leroy situation, getting kneed in the head, stopped the action, took the point, gave him time, and Leroy was able to come back and win. And then later on, Herzog wasn't fucking around like so many refs that give repeated empty warnings, and he went and took a point from Paulo Costa for eye pokes. I love that. Dana White, give that man a performance of the night bonus. Uh, so yeah, uh, Jason Herzog, the, re- the, the proper way to say it, I think, is that he was not fucking around. Nope. Uh, on Saturday night, he was there uh, to enforce the rules and to, uh, you know, to not hear any arguing about it, especially if you happen to be Paulo Costa 
He's just going to, you know, he's out there doing doing his job, frankly, like uh, doing the thing again that we ask referees to do frequently. And that is actually enforce these rules, man. Actually make them mean something. Actually uh, take a point if you've already been warning Paulo Costa a bunch of times. And then he does uh, poke Marvin Vittori in the eye. And then the Alex Casera situation mentioned in this in this uh, listener mail, like also, you know, some nice work from Jason Herzog. Yeah. And. You know, I saw uh, Daniel Cormier saying that he felt like that was the wrong choice to take a point there, that he should have just given them another warning. But you're like, man, you tell them the rules. We go over the rules before each one of these fights for referees to go back there, talk about the rules. I mean, they have a rules meeting. Referee's going to tell you the rules like in a one-on-one, intimate, cozy setting. Any questions you have can be sorted out then. Then they get into this fight, and after the first round, you can hear Jason Herzog going over to Paulo Costa's corner and telling him about having his fingers out there. And then he goes out there and pokes the guy in the eye. How many fucking warnings do you think he ought to get? He's He knows the rules going in. He's warned about it in the fight, and then he keeps doing it, and one eye poke could have a significant impact on the fight, especially if the other guy is going to be pressured to continue. We all know how that goes. There there should be a consequence there because he was already told he was doing it. He kept doing it, and it ended up doing the thing that he was being warned about. Take a fucking point, man. Like I, That's exactly how you ought to do it. The only problem is we just need more consistency across the board from all the other refs because you don't want to be going in there and fear, trying to figure out, well, there's no way to know for sure what's going to happen after I commit a foul or after my opponent commits a foul. Like it, it shouldn't There shouldn't be that much guesswork in it. And... Frankly, the way Jason Herzog handled both those situations is exactly the way it should happen. Yeah, man, if you want the the rules to mean something, you got to enforce them. And so it's nice to see someone out there enforcing the rules. Uh, I am concerned now at this point, something that I had not previously considered, but I suppose it is possible that Jason Herzog is the arch enemy, the nemesis of Dundasso. Uh, And on one hand, like, man, I can't, I can't sit here and stand by while he chokes off that revenue stream for the co-main event podcast. So like we, we hmm, making, making bank off those t-shirts off those, them Dundasso t-shirts, Jason Herzog going to come along and spoil that for us. Uh, and on the other hand, frankly, we've been waiting a long time for a worthy adversary. Yep. So, you know uh, and an adversary you can respect. Yeah. Jason Herzog. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, uh, when we did the fighter survey at the athletic back in what was 2019, is that when we did it? Uh, does that seem right? 2020. Yeah. It was mid pandemic. You're right. Uh, I was surprised at the time how many fighters said Jason Herzog was the best ref. And ever since then, he's been more on my radar than he was before. And I got to say, feel like they're right. Feel like those fighters might know what they're talking about when it comes to, uh, saying who the best ref was. Yep. No showboating in that guy's game. Just, you know, taking control and just exudes a a calm confidence. There's one person in control. We know who that person is. It's Jason Herzog. End of story. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Devin Scott, who writes subject line, Nathan Donald Diaz. He writes, let's play a couple rounds of MMA speculation. Here's how it works. I'll give you guys a couple questions and you provide an answer that is based on gut, not facts. Uh, Okay. Thank God, finally. Uh, (laughs) Question one. With one fight left on Nathan Donald Diaz's UFC contract, who do you think that fight will be? Well, don't you think that'll depend if he is intent on fighting out the contract and going to free agency? 
Because yeah. Do you do you think that this that the the now we know Diaz has one fight left on his contract? Does this make the Leon Edwards fight seem a little bit more uh, explainable to you? Because remember we were like, hmm, kind of weird that Nathan Diaz even took the Leon Edwards fight. Like that doesn't seem like a Diaz style fight. Like not a not a particularly high profile opponent or or a seemingly big payday is it possible that nate diaz is is just intent on fighting this thing out and that's why he accepted the leon edwards fight to begin with yeah it does start to make a little more sense but then you also think they're they're not gonna want to send nate diaz out on a victory if they can help it it that's just not the way the ufc typically does it and yet you know, he's Nate Diaz, so he's got a little bit of profile. Maybe you think there's a little bit of shine you can get for somebody else. Um, but then also, there's a whole bunch of people that would like to fight Nate Diaz because he brings some attention to your fight, and they think right now he's more beatable than he was, you know, if you're doing the same thing five years ago. Yeah, like maybe we actually mess around and get that Vicente Luque fight. I don't know. If Nate Diaz is intent on fighting out his contract, that might be something he decides to do. But which leads us into uh, question number two. What organization does Nathan Donald Donald Diaz end up fighting in? Well, end up fighting in is an interesting way of putting it. But, man, I could have some fun imagining Nate Diaz going over there and being the straw that stirs the drink at Bellator. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, but if you if he let's 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 play for a second. Let's assume that he is, in fact, fighting out his contra- uh, contract to go ta- test the free agent market. If he is doing that right now, wouldn't it be to think about going and fight one of them YouTube guys in a boxing match? Isn't that mm-hmm. like that would be the maybe the most lucrative thing, the most timely thing? I know that uh, uh, Jake Paul maybe has a fight set up now against the other Fury. Uh, what's that guy's name again? Tyron? Tyron Ichabod, Fury? Ichabod Fury. Can't. I can't remember the name. Uh, Tommy. Teddy. It's Tommy. Teddy Fury. Uh, but, you know, if you're Nate Diaz, you'd probably either fight uh, fight either Paul Brother, Jake, or or Logie. And uh, and maybe they, may, they might make it financially worth your while. Who knows? Or you go over there to KSW and have a, just an awesome time. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody know what the uh, – is weed legal over there in uh, – <laughs> In Poland? I, I think uh, Pudsey knows a guy, yeah. you know? Question three, how soon will Dana White uh, under-promote one Nathan Donald Diaz as old getting up there and not a needle mover? Well, probably the second he finds out the guy's going to bolt, right? Yeah. It'll be a statement that starts with, listen, this guy hasn't been good for a long time. You know, we really tried to help the kid and did a lot for him and really made, built him into something, but... You know, he, he stayed too long, and we've all seen that he's not the same guy that he used to be. Boom. That's just like page three of the Dana White Promoter Playbook. Uh, bonus round. What is the best tasting pumpkin spice beverage? Latte, beer, creamer, or martini? Bzzzt. Time's up. I'll take this one. The only acceptable answer is fuck pump, pumpkin spice and fuck the Golden Knights. Well, okay. Devin Scott really saved it there at the end. Yeah. Uh, ben, ben, do you martini? Enjoy- Did I hear mar- pumpkin spice martini? Yeah, man. You just you, fucking with me at this point? Do you do you uh, ingest any of this pumpkin spice? Do you, would you ingest pumpkin spice in any edible form? I'm not just not a fan of pumpkin as a flavoring. I mean, I'll no, mess up. No, no pumpkin, nothing. I'll eat a pumpkin pie, man. Ain't, ain't nothing wrong with that. But uh, I, I don't particularly want a fruit 
a noticeable fruit or vegetable flavor in any of my uh, my beverages, kind of like a, not in my coffee. I'll just take that black. I don't really want a beer that tastes like raspberry or, uh, you know, anything else. And uh, and so, yeah, I'm not putting many pumpkin spice in those things. That's an interesting statement from a guy who showed up to our last uh, UFC watch party with some kind of coconut ass beer. Having me dr- feeling like I'm drinking suntan lotion. Wasn't that the one Danny Down sent us, though? I don't was think it, so. Or was this you? You're talking about when I showed up with the variety pack. The variety pack. And the and there was not a whole lot of variety in the variety pack. It just... Anyway. I, I mean... I just maybe, figured you were going to drink the gross uh, coconut ones and I would have the other ones. Yeah. You would have your pumpkin spice martini. Your girl's night down at the plonk are we gonna get a charcuterie board chad you know we're gonna get a charcuterie board well i out of here i will i will smash a charcuterie board there's no no ifs ands or buts about that plate of meat they just bring out a big ass plate of meat and cheese what's wrong with that yeah that's just branding that's just all branding that's all it is international marketing ask putsy and he knows you're not living if you're not in the charcuterie plate man Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's listener mail. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website, comainevent.com. Click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Uh, Right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, I guess it was sort of surprisingly businesslike all week for Marvin Vittori as Paulo Costa admitted early in the week that he was not going to make the 185 pound limit, that uh, they might have the fight at a catch weight. And then, no, the catch weight wasn't going to work out either. And they went ahead and had to do it at 205 pounds. Marvin Vittori seemed pretty unflappable all the way through all that stuff. Uh, and then he sort of handled his business in the cage the same way. When it came down to this uh, five-round unanimous decision victory, 48-46 across the board against Paulo Costa for Marvin Vittori. Uh, let's talk just first about the the uh, the exploded weight cut, the unsuccessful weight cut here of Paulo Costa. Uh, he came out after this fight was over and said that it was due to a torn bicep. Now, that sounds terrible. I don't want to tear my bicep. I bet that hurts. Number two... When you tear your bicep, do you just got to shut it down? Is it like he didn't get to like finish out his training camp? Is that what the, then the weight cut, you got all screwed up? Because most of the things that I've seen people do to cut weight in mixed martial arts seem like they could still be performed with a torn bicep. So I don't know. I don't know if that's the greatest excuse that I've ever heard to not make the weight. But at the same time, maybe I just don't know, man. Maybe it just like screwed up the last several weeks of Paulo Costa's training camp and he didn't get his weight to where he needed it to be to even start the weight cut. And then he decided, ah, fuck it. I don't know. What I hear you saying is that uh, you never heard of a torn bicep making the treadmill not work. If I was a uh, high school football coach, yes, that is what I would say. I mean... You also 
Never heard of a, uh, a torn bicep making it easier to just keep four, cons- you know, great heaping mounds of food into your mouth until you blow up to 205 pounds or more. Okay, well, that seems like kind of a low blow there. <laughs> You're right. That I mean, I guess I could see in a lot of cases how you just say, hey, I had to work around an injury. It wasn't able to do all the usual stuff I'm able to do. But this one also seemed like Paulo rolled in here with a kind of a, eh, fuck it, it'll be fine attitude, just in general. And some of the stuff we heard from Marvin Vittori, who claimed that, or at least, you know, he's always going to come out with some kind of argument that, hey, this guy was looking for a way out of the fight. That's always the first thing your opponent is going to go to in mixed martial arts if there's any sort of issue like this. But he said something to the effect of, first they said, you know, this weight, then this other weight. If I, if I was going to take too big of a piece of his purse, then he wasn't going to fight. It sounded like there were a lot of scenarios where Paulo Costa was basically saying, if you screw with me too much on this, I'll walk. And I won't do this fight. And that it was really Marvin Vittori being willing to sort of roll with it that kept this whole thing together yeah and you also can pretty much count on marvin vittori being the kind of guy who was going to take the fight no matter what you weigh you probably come in bombardier size 320 pounds and marvin vittori would probably still take the fight i don't know if i believe that paulo costa and his team were quite so cagey as to to say all right we're just like we're not going to do the weight cut and we know marvin vittori will take the fight anyway uh but but who knows, like, honestly, when on, what went on behind closed doors. We know Marvin Vittori wasn't too pleased about it because once the fight was over, uh, he refused to squash the beef with Paulo Costa. Did you see this video that he made with the wine where he's sitting in his uh, he's still wearing his his tights and his Venom zip up UFC branded top, which I think is a nice touch. But he's like sitting in. <laughs> looked like probably in his hotel room he's got the bottle of wine he was like he's like i know that i was gonna give this to paulo costa after the fight but he doesn't deserve it so fuck him i'm gonna drink it and then uh marvin vittori drinks the wine himself which hey man we know paulo costa's got a taste for the vino we know that that's you know that's just cruel keeping the wine for yourself well hey you showed up there the guy just didn't even attempt to make the weight uh ends up screwing around with you all week over it then he's going to go and poke you in the eye in the fight? Yeah, I, I'm i going to drink that wine, too. I don't blame Marvin for that one. Uh, I guess the obvious question is what this does for both guys' careers. Uh, they had a, a decent fight. It was just fine. It was, wasn't bad to watch. Five rounds of uh, some, some significant action. It was back and forth. It was a pretty close fight, I thought. Uh, looks a lot more lopsided if you look at the scorecards. Of course, uh, Paulo Costa had that point taken away by Jason Herzog. Uh, but I thought like most of the rounds were pretty close, but I felt like they got it right that Marvin Vittori probably deserved to win it. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, Michael Bisping declared it an instant classic uh, as soon as it was over. And I was like, well, let's not get crazy. Let's not let's not go <laughs> overboard here. But like, there's nothing wrong with it. It was a good fight. And yet, so weird to have it at 205. I thought Marvin Vittori looked good. I thought uh, Paulo Costa did all of his normal stuff. He's still out there throwing spinning kicks, I believe, in the third round, even though the UFC broadcast team had pretty much pronounced him dead during the first round. Uh, but what is it like? How, it's weird to have this thing at 205. Now the UFC is trying to say Paulo Costa has to fight there forever. Uh, does does this did this help anyone? Does it help Marvin Vittori? Did it help Paulo Costa? What what's what can we even take away from this? I mean, Marvin Vittori still gets to walk around and basically treat this as another win in the middleweight division, right? Because he fought a middleweight, former middleweight title contender, and basically 
he can just be like, I showed up to fight and they told me not to cut weight. So I did. And But in all other ways, this should add to my middleweight credentials in the UFC. He gets that. Yeah. And then, but Paulo Costa, honestly, I don't know if it's the worst thing in the world for Paulo Costa to end up as a light heavyweight, at least for a time. Because it's, it's a fresh look for him. I don't think he was headed for uh, Israel Adesanya rematch anytime soon. But you do just sort of wonder, and it's tough to tell with him, but where's that guy's head at? Because all the weirdness going on all week, but then he actually shows up and he goes, you know, five hard rounds. He's still bringing it in the fifth round. It's not like he is completely unprepared for the fight or anything. But you also get the sense that he is dangling his career by the fingertips out the window of a moving car at times. And I don't know if he realizes it. He seems to have this attitude like, ah, fuck, it's all just going to kind of work out. Like, drink wine before the title fight, um, show up way overweight, see if we can make a deal, whatever. Like, he doesn't seem worried about any of it at all. And yet, if I were involved in the handling of his career, I would get a little stressed out about some of this stuff, man. Yeah. Especially when you hear Dana White talking about it, you feel like, man, you were just one or two breaks here from the UFC being super bad at you and putting you in a a tough spot going forward. Yeah, man, the best way to wind up in the unemployment line is to consistently do stuff that makes Dana White feel annoyed at you. And like Paulo Costa seems to seems to give him some actual reason to feel that way. Whereas like other people just seem to sort of stumble into it and make Dana White upset. But Paulo Costa, it seems like he actually deserves it. Uh, so yeah, I would be, I would be concerned about that. That also, uh, I saw that he had said after the fight, Dana White, I mean that, uh, Marvin Vittori had weighed like two Oh eight and, uh, Paulo Costa weighed like two twenty, which kind of makes it seem like, yeah, he didn't cut any weight at all to, to even try to make one eighty five Cause uh, he gets down to 205 and then hydrates back up to 220. Like that, that seems like the weight cut didn't even get started. But again, like it would be a huge risk to take if that was your plan. And that's uh, one of the things where I just can't totally reconcile that in my mind. But uh, it does seem like not only are you taking a big chance with the UFC, but you're also taking a big chance for yourself that like, that something like that the athletic commission doesn't just doesn't let the fight happen or something else right. happens. And then you don't get paid. Uh, Marvin Vittori might get paid, but it's not a, a given. And uh, the UFC is going to be pretty mad at you. I would think if that happened. Yeah. Uh, but on the flip side, I bet there's some light heavyweights out there who are going like, all right, I think maybe Paulo Costa would be a good fight for me. If he's going to be forced to stay in this division now, sure. Give me that one. I mean, he is, he would legitimately be kind of a fun entrance into that yeah. division, a division that needs all the fun entrance that it can possibly get. So if that's the way it shakes out, I don't see why not. Sure. All right, let's do uh, Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Chad, did you see this fight on the prelims? Ended up getting fight of the night between Gregory Rodriguez and the Iron Turtle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this shit... I- the the Iron Turtle, for one thing, like he had me just as soon as I heard the nickname. But then yes. I see this guy go out there and fight. And at times he's fighting this one like he's just going like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to block with my face just so I can fire back. And eventually it's going to get to this guy. And it seems like maybe that is kind of working. And then Gregory Rodriguez is like, mm, I, too, do not mind blocking a punch with my face just for the opportunity to land one in return. 
And we're just we're, we're going zombie for zombie mode there in the second round with these guys. And I was I was sitting on the couch. I may have been doing some hooting and or hollering, Chad. Are you fucking kidding me? You get you can tell me it's Gregory Rodriguez and the Iron Turtle gonna go out there, have themselves a slobber knocker. Hell yes. You, that's all you that's all you need to say to get me to pay attention to one of these prelim fights. The Iron Turtle is out there. Yeah. Swinging them thangs. Yeah. I mean, you show up with the nickname like the Iron Turtle and then you fight like that guy does. That's you're fast tracked onto being one of the co main event podcast guys, frankly. Are you fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me? Into it. Ben, I guess you could probably sum up my Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week in six words. Uh, more felony charges for Mayhem Miller. Oh, no. You fucking kidding me? Uh, this one added on top to the already ugly trouble that Mayhem Miller was in uh, due to some domestic violence issues. Now, so th- he's in a bar fight, according to this, both TMZ and the story that I'm looking at uh, from MMA Junkie. Uh, But this actually occurred just days before he was arrested for the felony domestic violence in September. So it's not like he got arrested for the domestic violence, went to the jail for a while, got out and then went out and committed more crimes. These crimes occurred before uh, the domestic violence arrest. Not that that makes it any better, but this is kind of weird. Is that your positive spin? You know, yeah, this was just a I cluster mean, of crimes that he was out committing. That's that's as positive you, as you can spin it. This is kind of a weird situation. Uh, he's in this bar fight, doesn't get arrested. No charges were filed at the time. But then later, it turns out that one of the dudes that he was fighting against had broken ribs. So now he's got to go to the hospital. Now there's a police report. Now uh, we're going to rack up some more felony assault and battery charges against Jason Mayhem Miller. Like... I mean, you said it all when you said it. Sounds like this guy's out there on a one-man crime spree. You fucking kidding me? Come on, Jason Miller. Everyone likes you, man. Everyone likes you. We want to see good stuff happen for you. And at this point, uh, you may have worn out a lot of that goodwill. You fucking kidding me? That is going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. I know I don't need to remind you of when we sat here on Friday afternoon and I I held in my hands a ticket that said Fedor Emelianenko to win. And the haters laughed, Chad. They laughed. They said Fedor's washed up. Fedor can't get it done. Big Tim Johnson going to break Fedor's heart and yours out there in Russia. Who's laughing now? Me, ha ha ha! Listen to me laugh yeah, all the no. way to the fucking bank. Fedor Emelianenko goes out there, can still, you know, maybe he's not the the Fedor who's gonna go like three hard rounds or something. But you get in a situation early in a fight, planting your feet, going after Fedor, throw throwing punches and and getting into a firefight with Fedor Emelianenko, he can still hurt you. Yeah, he reminded us of that with this. First round knockout uh, in the, the the first couple minutes here of this fight. Quote from Scott Coker after the fact, that was really special. 
I've been in the fight game for a long time, and for him to really deliver in his hometown in front of all his fans, it was really fun to watch. It was a real special, and like I said, being a promoter for so long, there's a few times it just captures a moment in time, and this was that night. I was like, wow, at 45, he can still bring it. Yeah. Now Fedor can still... uh... He can still do the dance if you want to if you want to do that particular dance with him early in the fight. And uh, that's what Timothy Johnson decided to try to do. And then uh, you end up getting hit with the three piece. The still like pretty damn fast for a 45 year old heavyweight out there uh, throwing murder balls, slinging bungalows, however you want to say it. But uh, yeah, when this thing floated across the social media timelines, it was I felt like there was an outpouring of joy. Uh, especially from Bellator itself. Like every Bellator account immediately was tweeting Fedor and Scott Coker's out there tweeting the goat emoji and all this stuff. Uh, So you can tell that this one meant a lot to them. I hope it meant a lot to Fedor too. This is the first time he's been able to fight in Russia for a while. And so I know that, you know, he loves Russia. So it was probably an emotional experience for him to go out there and get this victory. Ben, he's won four of his last five. At this point, the one loss being to Ryan Bader, the wins being Frank Mir, Chael Sonnen, uh, Rampage Jackson, and now Timothy Johnson, which is kind of an oddball collection of opponents. So I guess I'm sitting over here seeing Fedor at 45 years old. I have no idea what this guy has in the tank right now. Like common sense would tell us not a ton, but what we saw on Saturday against Timothy Johnson, like we said, is that he is still very dangerous, at least in the early stages of the fight. So uh, he doesn't, am I wrong to say perhaps uh, we, we, we brought the coffin out a little bit too early for Fedor Emelianenko's MMA career? Well, well, Chad, yes and no. I mean, in a way, I, I feel somewhat when I look kind of relax my eyes and focus on the big picture of Fedor Emelianenko's career. On one hand, it's kind of like what we were talking about after we were watching the Ken Burns Muhammad Ali documentary and then looking at Muhammad Ali's record and realizing like, oh, okay, like that guy fought for a long ass time and did not lose many fights. And Fedor, if people just heard people talk, uh, like the way MMA fans talk about Fedor in the last few years, they would think that, what does he have? 10, 15 losses piling up. He's 40 and six yeah. as a professional at this Still point. very respectable record. And yet it seems like a lot here is dependent on matchups for, for Fedor at this point in his career. Because when you look at his time, especially in Bellator here, what you see is, well, when he gets matched up against a younger and a fighter who is right there still in the relevant mix of all things, those can be tough nights for Fader. He's still, like, he's gotten a little chinny in his old age, which will happen. You know, just you, you can't take those punches forever and stand up to him. And, you know, that knockout to, to Matt Matrione, the knockout to Ryan Bader. But then, you know, he has, like, wins over, like, Fat Rampage and Tim Johnson and stuff like that. Or, or guys from other weight classes like Chael Sonnen. And he could still do some of the Fedor stuff. He just can't do all of the Fedor stuff and not all of it works against everybody in 2021. You know, like that, I, I think that the thing that you're going to be dealing with if Bellator is looking at what could you do with Fedor going forward, assuming that, you know, he ends up wanting to go forward, they're going to think like, okay, there's a certain kind of fight out there for Fedor, but you got to find it. You can't just throw him in there with absolutely anybody. 
Yeah, I don't think anybody's saying see if we can get Francis Ngannou on the phone. Like, <laughs> I don't think that's what any of us want to see. I don't even know if we need to or care to or would even be interested in really seeing Fedor fight a, uh, a uh, like a, a, a heavyweight who is involved in any kind of title picture. Like, we don't need that either. Like, we are we are fully into fun matchup, senior tour, don't make us sad kind of promotional stuff with, with Fedor. I guess I'm just saying I had fully prepared myself to feel very sad about what was going to happen in the cage against Tim Johnson and to see him kind of afford himself in a style befitting the old Fedor. Like, obviously, the guy's not 20 years old anymore, but, like, he can still throw the fast hands pretty hard. And so I feel less pessimistic about his immediate future now than I did before the Tim Johnson fight. Uh, but yeah, I think you're right. I think you got to go find him someone that he could, uh, you know, someone in his same age group that he could have a a fun fight with. And the and the good thing about heavyweight Ben Folks is those guys are out there. Yep. In that in that particular division, uh, and I'm just I'm just gonna say it. I'm just gonna say it right now. If ever there was a time for Scott Coker to try to get a a co-promotional deal going with the purveyors of the legendary Polish promotional God. power. Here it comes. And you could say, hey, you guys got a former world's strongest man over there under under contract? Oh, we got a guy who loves to fight those kind of guys. You ever heard of him? You ever heard of uh, this guy that we got, Fedor Vladimirovich Emelianenko? <laughs> man. If somehow Bellator were to co-promote and book a Fedor versus Pudzianowski fight, I think your head would actually explode. They'd be picking little pieces of your brain matter off the walls. You would not be able to handle it. Yeah. uh, I mean, the entire MMA world. Can you imagine if somebody, if someone with any power actually said those words, if the words Marius Pujanowski against Fedor Emelianenko in a giant ass stadium in Poland actually came out of anybody's mouth, what would happen inside the bubble? It would, we might all just turn into pure energy and cease to exist on this mortal plane. (laughs) If that happened. I mean, pick your soccer stadium and you can sell it out. I mean, in, in Poland or Russia, (laughs) like within reason, but yeah, I mean, man, if you ever wanted a reason for co-main event industries to get on a, a plane, fly to Lodz, Poland or something, shit, Fedor versus Puds, that'd yeah. do it. Mm-hmm. Might check I, out that school for bodyguards while we're over there. Who knows? I mean, they Find made a whole new line of work. They made a hell of a mini movie about Pujanowski versus the Bombardier. Just imagine what they could do if you had Fedor as a subject. I mean, I just see now I, I never even dared to hope for something like this. Now you're going to go and put it in my head and I'm going to be disappointed if it never happens. Well, okay. Like what, what are the realistic matchups? Like, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if Pujanowski is a, is a real thing that could happen, but if you're, let's pretend you're Scott, if you're Scott Coker, put on your Scott Coker hat. Uh, who do you try to get for Fedor? Well, remember when, before Fedor said that Tim Johnson was the obvious choice, we were all looking around and going, well, hey, uh, how about that fellow Fabricio Verdum? There's some history there. How about that fellow Josh Barnett? He seemed interested in it. I guess the question is, what do you what do you want out of this por- portion of Fedor's career? What does Fedor want? 
do we want to do some old score settling or here's the ones we never got around to in Fedor's Prime and sort of better late than never fights? Uh, do we? Do you need that? Do you need Fedor versus some other peer relevant from the same time period? Or is it just Fedor versus TBA? Is that what we're going for? Yeah. Fedor versus an opponent to be named later. And it is what he wants out of it really stuff like this where it's like, oh, hey, if you come to Russia once a year, I can fight. You can put some of my guys on the card. They can get an opportunity to fight, collect a paycheck, get some experience. And is that what he's in it for? Or is he in it to try to do anything specific? I think yeah. that's the questions you have to answer. Well, and if the question is, does he only have one left? Uh, do you want to have it be a spectacle or do you want to have do, do you want to have it be a win for Fedor, like an easy win for Fedor? And if so, do you need to get him some no name guy that you could pretty reasonably expect him to kind of coast over? Or do you want to get, like you said, another one of these sort of old school names that you could bring in and, and have some some promotional fire around it? Uh, do you think you could get Crow Cop to restart his Marshall times? Oh, you son of a bitch. You're just going to put that out into the universe. I mean, it's not. I mean, you'd it would be easier to watch than if you wanted to get Big Nog, right? And these are those are the those are the big names that you would think of. Like Barnett was, is a good one. If you're Fedor, do you want to take the chance to fight Josh Barnett in your last fight? That would be a pretty hard one, I think. Uh, you know, Big Nog was already starting to get pretty dang long in the tooth there down toward the end. Uh that might make us sad in multiple ways if you tried to do that one. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen Crow Cup for a while, so I don't know what he's up to. But I, or or you know what what kind of physical shape the guy is in. But it, it's one of the names that'd be near the top of my list if I was Scotty Cox. I bet he's somewhere right now, chopping wood in the snow, and you know Scott Coker helicopters in, and uh, they have a, a meeting in the the cabin. He, they're standing by the fire, and Crow Cup is just saying, like, you know, no, I've 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 left that life behind me, and and. Scotty Coase is just telling him, just one more. Just, just one restart more. the Marshall Times one more time. Just one more, Mirko. Yeah, Scott Scott Coker is a real Troutman style yeah. individual. Mm-hmm. You can see him heli- making an ostentatious helicopter entrance to wherever Mirko Krokop happens to be hanging out. He'd even uh, be wearing the beret down over one eye. I mean, I make one call to KSW just to see, just to float yeah. it, just to it's send just- a balloon, you know? Hey guys, just wanted to check in, see how everything is going over with you. Heard you mm-hmm. had a, a good one there with uh, Puds and the Bombardier. Anywho, it just I, I was just thinking, it's some here's something crazy. Here's, this this is going to be funny for you guys, like mm-hmm. and just just see, like you know, hey, you, I was just playing. I you know, unless you're unless you're going to do it, yeah. Unless question you like one: the idea. Can we get Pujanowski? If no, then question two: Can we get the Bombardier? Man, uh, Fedor versus the Bombardier, like that, that basically is a Pride New Year's Eve fight. <laughs> and uh, you know what? I'm, I'm, if you made Fedor versus the Bombardier, I'd be like, I see what you're doing. I want to be mad about it, but I can't. Yeah. Just tell me when and where. I mean, hey, man, if you told me we'd be sitting here on Monday halfway interested in who Fedor's next opponent is going to be, I would have told you we were probably a little bit too, uh, too naive to even be involved in this game, but here we are. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy for it. That's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three.
Well, Ben, you know how you can tell that there is gold on the poster, but the two actual title fights involved aren't big name affairs? And that is, you can tell because on the UFC 267 poster, it says, bigger than anything else, two title fights. That's yep. that's that's how they're selling this. Not necessarily that you got Jan Blahovich versus Glover Tashira or Peter Jan versus Corey Sandhagen in an interim bantamweight title fight. It just says in big big yellow letters, two title fights. That's what the people need to know headed into UFC 267. But I'll be perfectly honest with you, man. Knowing that uh, that we're going to be able to tune in and watch this thing for free on ESPN Plus, the first. Uh, non-pay-per-view UFC numbered event in the United States since UFC 138 in 2011. Just knowing that, I think this looks like a good card, man, because you got Yanni Blackjacks against Glover Tashira. You got Peter Yan versus Corey Sandhagen. You got Islam Makachev versus uh, Dan Hooker. You got Alexander Volkov versus Marcin Tibera. You got Li Jingliang against Kamzat Shemaev, and you got Magomed Ankalev against Volkan Uzdemir. In, in the curtain jerker, that doesn't even get you down into the uh, the prelims, but that's a solid main card right there to give away for free uh, on a Saturday if you're the UFC. Yeah, and it starts at uh, 8.30 in the morning here in the One True Time Zone on Saturday, so you can get your full day of MMA and still make it to your Halloween party of a Saturday evening. Yeah, uh, m- morning breakfast and fights. Get your coffee. Get your pumpkin spice latte if you're Ben Folks. Sit down on the couch, switch that thing on, and and watch these fights. Like I'm, I can't complain about it, man. This this seems like a good one to me. Well, and I can see kind of why this is the one where you would, if you're trying to make the case to people who maybe don't know enough that they don't need the case made to them. Two title fights is the thing you lean on because it's hard to explain to people like, all right, we got Jan Blahovich and Glover Teixeira. It's not exactly like the the matchup that lights anybody's hair on fire, but it's if you're inside the bubble, you know, you know, like okay, it's it's kind of heartwarming to see Glover get another crack at the title at this point in his career. Yanni Blackjacks has ended up being a much better light heavyweight champion than any of us anticipated, uh, and so this is one of those fights where okay, it's interesting style wise, and it also seems like one that you can kind of feel good about in a weird way. And then you also got the, the bantamweight fight where you had to make it a interim replacement fight that honestly kind of ended up being super awesome and interesting. Yeah. And if you know, then you know, and you don't need that stuff explained to you. If you don't know, it's a little bit too intricate to try to explain that easily. It's easier to just be like two belts on the poster. Isn't that cool? Two, two title fights. Title fights. Yeah, man, uh, Jan Blahovich and Glover Tashira main eventing a UFC quote-unquote pay-per-view in the year of our Lord 2021 is not something that I would have expected a few years ago, and so I will revel in it for the time being. We just talked in the last round about how the announcement of a Fedor versus Marius Pujanowski fight would set the the MMA uh, niche social scene on fire. Can you also imagine if Glover Tashira came and pulled this thing off and won the UFC light heavyweight title at the age of 41. Uh, Happy-go-lucky Glover, a guy that everybody seems to to like and enjoy watching. I think he's currently on a five-fight win streak. Can you imagine if your champ, if the champ was Glover Tashira? Man, uh, it would be Glover Day all day long on social media the next day. They'd be freaking out up there in Connecticut. Their guy, Glover Tashira. 
taking home the gold. I mean, although, do you think that, well, for one thing, if Glover goes out there and wins the title, John Jones is on Twitter that night just getting buck wild, you know? I mean, he's going to be anyway. We know that. Well, he's been, he been laying a little bit low lately due to some events, due to events in his personal life. But I don't, it does seem like this is one of those fights where we're going, all right, we're fighting over the light heavyweight belt. We don't know if we necessarily believe that uh, these are the best light heavyweights in the world right now. That That is more debatable now than it has been in years, it seems like. But it, it does seem like it, in the absence, with the John Jones shadow removed from the division, we are having a different kind of fun, at least for now. Yeah, and, and like I'm, I'm interested to see it. It's it's two likable guys going to fight for the title. Blahovic obviously has been very good the last couple of years, better than our our wildest expectations for where he would end up. Uh, and Glover is a guy who I think, as you said, is a feel good story to see this thing. Uh, he see him get this opportunity. What about Corey Sandhagen and uh, Peter Yan here in the for the interim bantamweight title? Obviously, Aljamain Sterling still trying to get his neck together, still trying to. Uh, recover from that surgery that he had to your mind what is the ideal outcome of peter yawn versus Corey sandhagen is there one thing or the other that you find more enticing or the best case scenario for the men's 135 pound division well i think promotionally if you're the ufc you're probably hoping for a peter yawn victory here right because then you can say when we do the sort of inevitable peter yawn versus aljamain sterling fight at some point you can call it a title unification fight, you know, and it will it will feel that way. It would be, as we talked about before, one of the few times where the interim belts kind of felt like the interim belt, like it kind of felt like a real thing because you would end up in a situation where Aljamain Sterling shows up with a belt that we all saw him win, but we go, well, you were, you were right up on the line of losing before you, you won via disqualification. Peter Yan, though, would also show up with a belt, and we would go, well, I mean, you do sort of feel like the champs still, but only sort of because of the weirdness surrounding it. And so it would actually just work the way it's supposed to for a change. I think if Corey Sandhagen wins, then it's just chaos. I mean, it's fun chaos. Like I, you could you could work with that as well, and we could have ourselves a good time. But then you're basically we're kind of looking at like a round robin kind of situation with those three guys at the top of the bantamweight division. Yeah, uh, Islam Mahachev and Dan Hooker, a fight that, as we know, Dan Hooker decided to turn around and take. Uh, I think rather than go home, right? Like he uh, he had to get in the country. Uh, to have his fight against Nasrat Hakparas at UFC 266 in September. That was in Las Vegas. And then uh, basically got the opportunity to just sort of stick around to take this short notice fight after Rafael Dos Anjos pulled out with an injury at UFC 267. So he's, he's I don't know what his training has been like. I don't know where he has been. I don't know who he's been working with. Uh, but this that's going to be an interesting one to, to keep an eye on as well. And then, of course, a little bit further down the card, the welterweight matchup. Kamzat Shemaev returns from his highly publicized and lengthy battle with COVID-19, one that appeared as though it forced him into retirement uh, for a hot minute before he was he was uh, convinced to come back by... Got a, uh, got a pep talk. Mm-hmm. Got a pep yep. talk from, from everyone's favorite Chechen dictator. 
Uh, and he's going out there against Li Jingliang, man, who is no slouch to fight in your uh, comeback fight coming off his own knockout of Santiago Ponzinibbio in January. He had lost to Neil Magny just before that at UFC 248, but he has also won four of his last five. And so, uh, you know, they're not giving you a cupcake comeback fight there if you're Kamzat Shemaev. No, they're not. And that is, as we talked about before, I think that if you are not physically 100% and ready to be back in there, that is going to be a guy who can find it out. And that guy comes in shape. He goes hard. He's not going to go away easily. That's a, it's a tough fight to be thrown right back into. And honestly, if you're looking for like a live underdog on this card, the leech is, is a one worth examining. Yeah, there was no one on the roster that the UFC was hotter on than Kamzat Shemaev before he had to take this lengthy absence with COVID-19. It will be interesting to see just promotionally. Uh, how hot or cold they are on him now. And it is possible that that everyone is kind of standing by waiting to see how this fight goes. But this is a guy who seemed like one of Dana White's favorites heading into this this disease. And then he was damn near felled by, by COVID, which Dana White uh, wants to try as hard as he possibly can, sort of doesn't even really exist. So uh, it will be interesting to see how they grapple with all of that here with Kamzat Chimaev's return fight. Yeah, you kind of can't not talk about it in this situation, at least. All right, uh, let's do uh, just saying stuff, and then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, there was a a lot of intrigue on the social medias earlier today, this morning. Fan favorite. We, do we have the same just saying stuff here? No, I mean, I'm just, I heard that there was intrigue on the social medias, and I got excited. I was like, oh, yeah. What? Joanny Ajaychik removed from the women's straw weight rankings. Everybody had to slap their deer stalker caps on, uh, get their magnifying glasses out, and go on a uh, on a search for clues here. Was there skullduggery afoot? Was there some manner of conspiracy? Then our guy, Mike Bad to the Bond, uh, turns it up. Nope. She's just removed due to inactivity. Hadn't fought mm. since March of 2020. Probably won't fight again till 2022. So they pulled her off the rankings for inactivity. I guess this week, I'm just saying, sometimes the easiest answer really actually is just the answer. There's no conspiracy. It's not a, uh, there's nothing really seemingly going on between the UFC and Joanna Jacek, I guess. Just this is a, took her off for inactivity like they say you're supposed to with the, uh, with the rankings. Actually did it this time. Actually did the thing they were supposed to do. Just saying. I'm just saying we've seen some other people, perhaps with a a bigger fame profile, who managed to stay on despite some inactivity. Just saying. This week, though, Jed, my just saying, uh, our guy over on Twitter, the Bohashin Hadipo, at mm-hmm. Full Contact MTWF, one of my favorite Twitter accounts out there, pointed out he's got a tweet up there where he shows how the UFC has edited the commentary from uh, the Jan Blahovich Israel Adesanya fight into a Jan Blahovich promo for the countdown show. He shows the original clip, which is happening during the fight, where it's talking about how Jan Blahovich is fighting a perfect fight for Israel Adesanya. That basically he is giving Israel Adesanya the fight he wants and that it's working out great for Israel and that is, you know, the range and style that he is allowing this fight to happen is perfect for Israel and Asanya. Then you show the actual promo clip from the countdown show, and they have edited it to just be so it sounds like Rogan is saying Jan Blahowicz is fighting a perfect fight. Mm. Yeah, I'm just saying 
you know what? If the UFC tricky editing team is going to be taking people out of context and making them them sound like they're saying something different from what they're actually saying, at least this time they're doing it to one of their own people and not to the media or people like Ariel Helwani when they're putting together Dana White's I was right about COVID all along and you guys were wrong puff piece and just like self-congratulatory propaganda video. I'm just saying, at least now, if they're gonna if they're gonna take somebody out of context. Do it to your own people. Yeah. I'm just saying. I mean, I'm just saying maybe Joe Rogan and his minions might be mad about that if somebody else had done it. Oh, if CNN did it, you'd never hear the end of it. But I guess it's cool if it's if it's the UFC. Man, they do that a lot actually, though. Like when they do those kind of like promo videos, mix and match various uh, voiceover calls with with highlights that they don't necessarily go with and stuff like that. I they just got a Joe Joe Rogan soundboard. That where it's like, oh, whenever they yeah. need that sound, they just mm-hmm. throw it throw it up there for the for the promo videos. But that's uh that is an obvious one, I guess. Yeah. All right. That's gonna do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We will be over on the Patreon page all week, patreon.com slash co-main event, Wednesday live chat, Thursday, doing the damn thing, Friday, power hour. Come join the team, patreon.com slash co-main event. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. Chad from our guy Josiah Renaudin, who saw uh, Johnny Walker at an airport in Dunkin' Donuts, says he couldn't stop thinking of Beers Dunkin' Donuts. I feel like Johnny Walker is probably a uh, chocolate sprinkles kind of guy. You know, like he's not—he's he's not going to do something more old-fashioned or He's, he's going to be like, what do you got up there that's bright? You know, I, I bet uh, Johnny Walker wants nothing more than to be recognized in Dunkin' Donuts. And I mean that seriously. I bet you walk up to Johnny Walker in the Dunkin' Donuts wanting to take a picture. And it's, it's the highlight of his day, too. Not just yep. yours. This pose on all up in there. That's right. Get your giant coffees and your donuts and make your fist pose. Get your, get your snap taken with, the, with Johnny Walker.